We're continuing in our study in the Gospel of John together. I like listening in on conversations. Uh, sometimes, it's, it's, I've, I've mentioned before, I, whenever I was in school, I'd always uh, go up after the lecture, just kind of listen to, it seemed like I learned more from the question and answer that happened uh, casually, or go to a conference, just go and listen to this conversation. The Apostle John is giving us the opportunity to listen in on a one-on-one conversation between the Lord Jesus Christ and a seeker who came to him at night, Nicodemus. Our text today is verses 7 through 13 of chapter 3, but we're going to get some context here by going back to chapter 3, verse 1. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 13. I encourage you to look in your Bible and follow along. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one could do these things, these signs that you do, unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, We speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. Thank God for his word. And so let's look at this uh, section before us, verses 7 to 13. We, we begin with, with the illustration of the wind given by our Lord. So in our previous passage, the Pharisee, the Pharisee Nicodemus came. He was a Pharisee and a member of the Sanhedrin. So he was of a very elite group. About 6,000 Pharisees were all that were in, in, the, nation, in the area of Israel. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. That's even a smaller group. That was the ruling and judging party of the Jews, a group of 70. So this is quite, um, quite a personage that has shown up. He came to talk to Jesus. And no sooner did Jesus uh, express his kind words of Jesus. Rabbi, he called him. And again, that was a remarkable thing because in that day, uh, rabbis were the recognized teachers. And they were recognized because they had been faithful followers of of a rabbi and been taught by him what the rabbis before had taught. Jesus is not one of those. In fact, he didn't even embrace the, the oral traditions of the rabbis. 
But he called him rabbi because he was so impressed. He said, we see what you're doing. And we know no one but someone from God could do your signs. Now, a lot of people might have spent some time enjoying basking in the praise. Uh, Jesus, um, Jesus went right to work. Like a spiritual surgeon, he uh, took out the scalpel and went straight for the heart. Jesus answered and said to him in verses 3 to 6, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We've already read the text. Nicodemus is stunned and trying to understand how does that even work? How can you be born again? And Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, so symbols of the Holy Spirit's work, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Our Lord then just continues on in, in verse 7. He said, Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. So here's the conclusion. I've told you you must be born again. You cannot see the kingdom of God. Don't be surprised. Uh, don't marvel. And that's the, the word here is, you know, Nicodemus, you can shut your mouth now. <laughs> don't, be so, what is, you know, don't be so surprised that I say this. He's explained you must be born again. He's saying it's born, being born from above. It's a spiritual birth. And it's like but distinct from physical birth. It's the beginning of life physically. There's a, there needs to be a beginning of life spiritually where you cannot see the kingdom of God. Notice something else as he's, as in, in, in this time. Previously he said, unless one is born of God, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So there's kind of talking a general principle. If, if someone hasn't been born by God, if someone isn't born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But now, notice what he says. You must be born again. So he starts from the general principle, and then he tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. Notice he's uh, making it personal. And by the way, if you, uh, if you have the King James, you have an advantage. Ye must be born again. It's a plural. Now, when, when we modernized our English, we, we lost some of those distinctives. In the plural, he says, you all must be born. So again, the, new, you know, the more modern English loses it. Uh, in Texas, we have preserved proper language. Y'all must be born again. He's talking to a leader among leaders. He's kind of saying, all you Pharisees. All you Sanhedrin are not going to see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. So he's making it personal and applying it. But notice what he doesn't say. He says, you're not going to see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. You. He's gone from one to you. He doesn't say we. If I were speaking, I could say one must be born again. You must be born again, but I could also say we must be born again. Jesus is the one man who's ever lived who does not need to be born again. Every other man from Adam is a sinner by nature and needs new birth because he's spiritually dead. 
Jesus did not inherit the sin nature. Jesus is not a sinner. He is not spiritually dead. He is so spiritually alive. So he does not need to be born again. You must be. I must be. He did not need to be born again. He then continues that. So he's, he's kind of an application to verse 7. Now he kind of gives an illustration. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from, where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So he's used an illustration of you need to be, you, you need spiritual life. He uses the example of birth. Now he uses the example of wind. So he, he takes commonly known things. Surely you, you know what the wind is. And, and so he's saying, look at the wind. Learn from nature. It, it's an illustration of the Holy Spirit. By the way, the word wind in Greek and Hebrew is the same as the word for spirit. Uh, the word, that word in Greek, pneuma, can, can be breath. It can be wind. You know, it's, it, we think of it in terms of breathing because when someone has a, a lung issue where their breathing happens, it's called pneumonia. That's why it's a Greek word, and that's why we put a P on the front of it, to confuse people. <laughs> that's like I always like to say, please pass me a knife. <laughs> okay, it's one of those words that's a foreign word. And so, but the idea is breath, it's wind. It's, it's spirit. You have to look at the context. So let me illustrate. The Holy Spirit is kind of like the wind, he's saying. Let me illustrate that. You can't see the wind. You can hear it. You can hear it blowing, mainly because of, of the friction it's causing, it's, 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 or, or, or maybe the leaves, or, the, or the, here in Texas, the pecans and branches bouncing off your roof. Ah, the wind is blowing. Or the squirrels are eating, but I won't get into to that issue. Uh, we, can, we can hear it. We can see its effect. Again, you can see the trees moving. Um, you can see uh, the dust blowing. Have you ever noticed when you uh, see videos of a tornado, when it's all dark like that, when it's on the ground, that's because it's kicking up dust. And so it's the dust, it's the dirt that helps us, or, or it's the clouds that are moving we don't actually see the wind itself. And so that's what he's saying is you, you don't see the wind, but you see the effects that it causes. And so he says, so is the Spirit. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. What he's saying then is um, the Holy Spirit is like the wind in those illustrations, but the Lord is speaking about the effects that the wind causes, the effects that the Holy Spirit causes. And so he says, those who are born again, they're not the Spirit, but they are the evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit. So you can't see the wind, but you can see the tree moving. You cannot see the Holy Spirit, but you can see him at work in the life of of someone who's born again, someone who's been born from above, someone with spiritual life. <clears throat> We've got some pretty brutal weather going on right now. I don't know, what is it going to be, 60 today? I was watching the news. We have family and friends up in the Northeast, and they were getting, they were calling it a snow bomb. They were calling it blizzard. Now, sometimes they say those things, and 
Um, there's a little bit of snow in some parts of New, the New England. It's not too bad. Towards the coast, it was rough. And, you know, that's when they always ask the weather reporters have to go out and stand, you know. And you watch them sometimes leaning into the wind. And, and so there was someone, they were all bundled up. One of the, you know, some of them had ski goggles on. And anyway, but anyway, one person said, you can see the wind. They said, do you see that flag? So they pointed to an American flag, and it was straight out. Okay, that tells you something. There's wind. <laughs> you know, so that's one of the good clues. Uh, you know, the, the flag is, is evidence. The wind is really blowing. That reminded me of something I, I learned from the British. They have some customs that they practice with flags. But one of them is what's called the royal standard. That's the, the, the monarch's uh, flag. So whether queen or king, there is the royal flag, or the, they call it the royal standard. And they have a custom. When the queen is in her residence, the royal standard is flying. When she's gone, it's down. And that's how you can always, if you go to visit and say, I'm going to go see the changing of the guard in Buckingham, and, and the typical American, might, you might hear them whispering in the crowd, I wonder if the queen's home. The British know better. You just look up at the flagpole. Is the royal standard up there? She's home. Is, is it not there? She's not home. And so they just look at the Americans and say, give them some room. <laughs> but that's their, that's their standard. If the flag is there, it doesn't matter if the, she's, uh, it's, it, she carries her flag, goes on her car. It's on her yacht. And in various other ways, when the, flat, when, the, when the queen is there, her flag is there. That caused a bit of a stir, by the way, back when Diana died. Remember, she was, I think, technically no longer Princess Diana. And, and people were upset. I think it was actually an American reporter that got things stirred up. Why, isn't the, there was the, why wasn't the flag at half-mast, is what they say over there, half-staff, we say. Why isn't the flag at half-staff over Buckingham Palace? Are they trying to uh, be dismissive towards Diana? The royal standard never flies at half-staff. Because the monarch is always on the throne. So the moment... A monarch dies, there is a replacement. And so that flag never goes to half-staff. So they had a problem, though. Now people were thinking, oh, you're being dismissive. So they, they raised up the Union Jack. When the Queen left Buckingham Palace, then they dropped the Union Jack, the, the, the national flag, down to half-staff. That's more than you needed to know. But flags are a picture of wind. And he's saying, um, if you, if you want to see... The Holy Spirit, look at those who've been born again. Look at those who've been born again. That's his point. That's what he's saying when he says, so is everyone who is born. So the wind, you can't see the wind unless you see its effect. So is everyone who's born again. They are the evidence of the Holy Spirit. I've mentioned before... uh, Bible commentary and uh, Bible teacher of the previous generation, H.A. Ironside. Uh, he used to, before my time, uh, he would come and, and to Dallas Seminary for a month at a time and teach through a book of the, of the Bible, like the book of Romans or something, and they just, they, they just ate it up. They loved his teaching. He was pastor of Moody uh, Memorial Church in Chicago for a while. He started off when he got saved with the Salvation Army and then eventually became a uh, active with the Plymouth Brethren. Well, he was out in the San Francisco area, 
and preaching with a bunch of Salvation Army folks. You know, they had their brass band out. He was preaching to a crowd. And um, while he was preaching, he noticed someone in nicely dressed and uh, kind of pulled a card out and was riding on it. So afterwards, uh, the, the fellow came through the crowd and uh, came up, introduced himself, very politely tipped his hat, and handed um, Ironside his card and, sa- and uh, said, I uh, appreciate what you said today. I'd like to challenge you to a debate. He looked down at the card. He didn't recognize the man, but he looked down at the card and realized, oh, he's one of the leading uh, socialists who, who's constantly having socialist meetings across uh, all around and very popular. And so he said, uh, I'd like to have a meeting. And he said, uh, uh, and I'll, I'll pay all the expenses next week or maybe two weeks out. Uh, we'll meet in this hall and we'll have a debate. Uh, well, uh, I'll present the agnostic view and you pre- present your view. Ironside uh, took that card and read it to the crowd. He's challenged me a date. He'll pay, uh, debate. He'll pay the expenses. He said, I gladly accept this you know, kind of publicly and before the crowd. I gladly accept on two conditions. You bring to the meeting with the debate, I ask you to just bring two people, one man, one woman, who've lived uh, lives of debauchery, immorality, and have been uh, prisoners of sin, but can give testimony in this meeting that because they came to one of your presentations on agnosticism, it changed their life, and now they're living a, a fruitful and productive life. I, on my behalf, I will bring 100 people, men and women, to testify in the same way. They will speak, give testimony of how they were prisoners of sin, ruined in their lives. But because they came and heard the gospel and trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, they are now established, productive, living a life that honors the Lord. Then he turned to the uh, Salvation Army captain, a woman, and said, can you bring some volunteers? She said, I'll give you 40, and we'll, bring, and we'll come with a ba- brass band. <laughs> and he said, I can call some local groups. I know I can get another 60. I'll meet you there. Will, will you agree to those terms? Well, the socialist had a bit of a sense of humor. He kind of smiled and said, no, thank you, and walked away. He couldn't think of bringing two people that socialism had made their life better. What was Ironside saying? Like the wind, the born again, are evidence of the reality of God in life. I wonder, what kind of flag am I? What kind of flag are you? If someone were checking out the reality of the Holy Spirit, the wind, and looked to me, my flag on the, on, up on the staff, would they see it moving? Would they see it straight out, showing a very active work of the Holy Spirit? Or would they in some way see it's moving? Or would they just kind of see it hanging limp there with no evidence of life? Jesus can, said, you can see the Holy Spirit, because those who are born again show his effect in their life. Well, Nicodemus in verses 9 and 10 uh, responds, and, and there's some more interaction. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? 
Now, notice uh, when I read Nicodemus' answer, I was reminded of, of some other interactions. Remember when Mary was told by Gabriel she was going to bear a child? What was her response? Luke one thirty four. That Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? How can this be? Remember Zecharias? Now, uh, in that case, Gabriel gave some encouragement. You know, your cousin Elizabeth is already is another miracle birth. Um, God the Holy Spirit's going to do it. He explained. Remember when Zecharias was in the temple and Gabriel told him, your wife's going to have a child? Here's what he said in Luke 1.18. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And, and so remember, he was struck uh, dumb. He was not allowed to speak. Um, why? Because of his unbelief. He didn't say, How's that work? Like Mary. He said, How can I know that's true? That's, that's unbelief. What's Nicodemus say? How is this possible that's that's literally what he's saying in in his question how is it possible how can this be possible that looks a little doubting to me remember jesus is saying you must be born again he he doesn't know the lord and jesus answered and said to him are you the teacher of israel and do not know these things now, remember, when Jesus asked, when God asks a question, he doesn't need information, right? And so when he asks this, uh, he's, not, uh, he's not shocked and dismayed. He knows he's asking the question to stir the heart of Nicodemus. Remember back in chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, Jesus did not commit himself to those who claimed to believe in him because he knew all men. He had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. He knows Nicodemus's heart, but he's, he's acting stunned. How can it be that you, the teacher of Israel, don't know? You should know this. Some of you have experience in teaching. You've taught your children or you've taught a class. And maybe you've taught so well, you walk out of there and say, I, I don't think I've ever heard it so well presented. You come back the next week gone i tutored a young man in, in math for a semester a year i don't remember but i, I remember uh, it came coming in I, I left one week thing he's got it he's got it he's got it i came back the next it was gone 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 away <laughs> and i remember I, I went to the his mother and i said uh, i don't know what else to do <laughs> i i've explained it every other possible way his father was an engineer and he'd given up a long time ago. I thought he'd be mad. He was delighted to hear that I was frustrated. Because I, I think he was like, he'd been down that path himself. But, but so, Nick, so what's Jesus saying? How can this be? How can you not know? Notice what he calls him. You're the teacher of Israel. But, but don't read that too quickly. You're the teacher. You're the teacher of Israel. He's a Pharisee. There's only 6,000. You're in the Sanhedrin. You make the, the, the laws, you, you make the rulings in the court, but he says, you're the teacher. Apparently, he was the most respected teacher in Israel. And you don't know this? 
It's like teaching, teaching to a university professor who teaches English literature. You don't know the alphabet? You're the teacher of Israel. So what he's saying is, this is basic. This is fundamental. Now again, the Pharisees emphasized um, the traditions of the rabbis as equal authority to the scripture, as, as, as part of God's revelation. So they, they memorized and, and knew all the teachings and could quote generations of rabbis and debates. But he's saying, You've, this is fundamental. This is basic. You don't know this. You should know this. Again, another Bible teacher, this is before my time, but I, I heard stories. He would, he would come to Dallas Seminary. He'd preach. And, and sometimes, you know, I guess the students would look at him like they don't, couldn't, didn't know what he was saying. And he would say, don't you read your Bibles? Which was always an embarrassment to seminary students. Don't you read your Bibles? How come you don't know this? Well, that's what he's saying here. Because if you read your Bible, you would know this. And the fact is, notice how often Jesus will say, haven't you read? Haven't you read? Haven't you read? One of the things he's saying is, you, the God's word is the written Bible, not the oral traditions of the rabbis. But what he's saying is, don't you read your Bible? Of course, he probably could have quoted them in Hebrew. He knew these passages, but he didn't know them. Ezekiel 36, 24 to 28 is an example. I was, uh, God said, I will take you from among the nations. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. We, we talked about this last time. God talked about how he's going to give a new heart and cleanse his people. Psalm 51.10, create in me a, a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Jeremiah 4.4, circumcise yourself to the Lord and take away from your hearts the unclean skin. Ezekiel 18.31, cast away from you all the transgressions which you've committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit, for why should you die, O house of Israel? Ezekiel 36.26, so I've read so far, I reminded us of Ezekiel 36.24-28, for those of you who are taking notes. Psalm 51.10, Jeremiah 4, 4, Ezekiel 18, 31, I've already read. Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of, give you a heart of flesh. Jeremiah 31, 33, I will put, I'm just quitting parts of it. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. Isaiah 44, 3, I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and blessing on your offspring. The work of the Holy Spirit to give a new heart was all through the Old Testament. Every true believer in Old Testament times was a born again, born from above believer. But the teacher of Israel... And those with him and the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, for the great majority, were not born again. They knew religion up and down. They knew exactly how to wash their hands. They knew exactly how to do all these things. But still had a heart of stone. 
and still needed new birth. Nicodemus should have known from Scripture, and Nicodemus should have understood when he saw the lives of real believers that the Holy Spirit was at work. But to him, you're talking a different language. You know, that's the problem throughout history. I'm going to talk about Jewish people because this was a Jewish context. But throughout church history, there's been many and many a church that is just as dead as the Pharisees. When Wesley and Whitfield started preaching this shocking idea that you must be born again, just quoting the words of Jesus, they were kicked out of the churches. That's why they started preaching outdoors, because although they were ordained minister in the Church of England, they thought this is too radical. They actually taught, and it was quite quite controversial, they said you should not be a minister of the church if you're not born again. For that, they were kicked out of the churches. So it's quite easy, really, to live a religious life without Christ, without the Holy Spirit, without being born again. And tragically, and I think it's, it's, Satan loves it. It's, it's kind of like uh, an immunization, if I can use a popular term. Uh, you know, you immunize someone by exposing them to aspects of the germ, and therefore they're now resistant to it. Satan loves to give us an immunization of Christianity just enough so that we think we're satisfied without really having a born-again heart. Have you ever talked to someone about Christ? And they say, oh, no, no, I've already got religion. No, I don't care if you got religion. Are you born again? Has the Holy Spirit made you new? So then verses 11 to 13, Jesus speaks from personal knowledge. Nicodemus doesn't have personal knowledge. That's his point. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we've seen. You do not receive our witness. If I told you earthly things you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And so what he's saying is um, he's very intentional. Notice he, one must be born again. You must be born again. Notice he says, um, we, most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know. And so one of the questions is, who's the we? I can give you lots of confusing options, but I think the most simplest is he's speaking of himself, John the Baptist, maybe his disciples, but I don't think they're preaching and teaching yet. They're still following Jesus and, and learning as they go. But John the Baptist was very clear. How well received was he in the Sanhedrin among the Pharisees? Not. We speak of what we know. We testify what we've seen. John the Baptist had received directly from God God's word. He had seen with his own eyes the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus. He had seen Jesus and declared him, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He had received, he had seen, he testified what he knew personally. And of course, Jesus He's seen heaven. He's seen the heart. He's speaking what he knows personally. What does the scripture say about witnesses? It takes two to verify the truth. Two witnesses have come and borne witness of what they know from personal experience. You know, in the courts, at least in Perry Mason, you can't testify. You didn't hear that. They had seen. They had heard. They knew the truth. 
But they still, the Pharisees still wouldn't believe. Nicodemus still wouldn't believe. And so, you don't receive. Note, again, the you here is plural. Y'all don't receive it. You're rejecting it. We brought the witnesses. We told what we know. You rejected it. Verse 12 and 13, if I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one's ascended to heaven, but he who comes down from heaven, that's the son of man who's in heaven. Jesus was speaking of earthly things. He said, you, you, should, you've heard, you know what, you have the Bible right here on earth. You have, there are born again believers, there always have been. But you're not believing. If you don't believe these things, how, how would you ever understand heavenly things? In other words, maybe describing the kingdom or eternal things, the nature of God. The most fundamental and basic thing is you must be born again, and you don't get that. See, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had totally externalized religion. They knew exactly how to wear their garments. They knew exactly the prayer to pray in every occasion. They knew all the rituals. They knew all the commands. They knew exactly what to do. I remember one time talking to one of my Orthodox Jewish friends in Jerusalem. And he was laying out you know, how he'd handled things for the Sabbath. You couldn't turn on the light on the Sabbath because that would be considered work. Because starting a fire is work. And if you turn on a light bulb, there's a little spark. That's a fire. So you can't turn on the light. Um, and so he wanted to read, what else do you do on the Sabbath? And so he would turn on his light and put a towel over it in the nighttime. In the morning, he could take it off. He said, and he said, but you can read. Oh, yeah, we can read. And then he tried, you know, you, could, you can't wash your face, but you can get the, the little crusties out of your eyes. And all, all the details, you can write, but you can only draw. You can't really write, but you can draw maybe one or two lines, but if you, more than that, you might be trying to form a letter. That's writing. That's, he knew all that, but he didn't know what it meant to be born again. And, and any religion, you, there's people who know all the rituals, all the rules, but they don't know Christ. And so he's saying, that's a problem. We've borne you testimony, and you still don't know. Notice in verse 13, he said, He who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. By the way, that, some of your translations don't have that last phrase, who is in heaven. The newer translations tend to drop it. It's one of those manuscript issues. Many of the oldest manuscripts don't have the expression, who is in heaven. But I think the manuscript evidence and other arguments support who is in heaven should be in the text. So it reads this way. He who came down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. Can you see why it might have dropped out? Someone might say, how can he be on earth and in heaven? In his humanity, he was limited. He was either in heaven or on earth. In his deity, he's in heaven and on earth. And so right there, he was kind of making a statement. The son of man came down and is from heaven and is in heaven. 
Nicodemus should have been listening. But that's maybe that heavenly thing. If you can't figure out born again, how am I going to explain to you that I'm God and man? But it totally went by Nicodemus. So here's an incredible conversation. And I hope we we learn some things from it. One of the things he made absolutely clear is if we know Christ as Savior, we're born again, we're born from above. And our lives will give evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit. If the flag isn't moving, there is no wind. If the life isn't changing, there is no spirit. So I say that to you as a challenge. Can you point to things in your life that show the spirits at work? Perfection? No. In fact, that's one of the problems. The Holy Spirit continues to show you new areas to work on. But is God at work in your life? Are you born again? Now again, I want to emphasize, Jesus is making it very clear. These are not new truths. This is, this is God's truth all along. Every believer in every generation, if, if they were truly believers, they were, God had given them a new heart. They were born from above. But so many had gone to religious tradition that they traditioned the Holy Spirit right out of it. It, was a, it became a dead ritual instead of a living relationship. Don't make that mistake. Don't be satisfied with just going to church or going through the motions. Genuine salvation is a vital, a living relationship with the living God accomplished by the Holy Spirit. And why is it that Jesus is such an authoritative teacher? He's the one who came down from heaven. Notice he says, no one else has done it. Now, there are other religions that will claim it, but he said, nope. I'm the only one who has come down from heaven. And I can tell you the truth. Jesus, to me, is the best apologetic issue. And people, why do I believe in, in Christianity? I'll give you some evidences. You can point to evidences of the resurrection, but the issue is, like some people say, well, why should I believe the Bible? Jesus did. Are you, do, you, are you gonna argue, do you really want to argue with Jesus? Most people don't want to go there. Jesus said, I'm the only one that's come down from heaven. Listen to me. I know the truth. An evangelist came into a town one time and, and uh, you know, was, you know, scheduled some meetings. And as he arrived, he, he had a, a letter he wanted to put in the mail. And so, you know, new to town, didn't know anything. And so he um, saw this young boy and he said, can you point me to the nearest mailbox? And he said, sure, it's right on that corner over there. And the evangelist thought, well, I'll go ahead and take opportunity here and say, and said, by the way, I'm in town to um, tell people how to go to heaven. I'll t- show people the way to heaven. You can come tonight and listen to my message at the church. And the little boy said, you don't even know where the post box is. <laughs> well, you can see where that went. <laughs> the only reason I can tell you how to get to heaven is because I've listened to one who came from heaven. 
It's not my message. It's his. Do you know Jesus Christ as Savior? Please don't take that offensively. I have found that truly born-again believers are never offended if someone asks you that question. Glad you asked. You challenged me. I said ask more people. But I just want to make sure you don't make the mistake of a Pharisee and go through the motions. Are you born again? Has Christ come into your life and changed your heart? We'd be happy to talk with you about that if you need more help. And so take God's message to heart. And it's God's message. How do I know? It's the message Jesus brought. And he came down from heaven so that we might know the truth. May God help us to believe and embrace the truth and the one who brought it. Father, thank you for this, your word. Thank you for this testimony of Jesus Christ. Lord, how I pray that each one here, each one listening, will know Jesus Christ personally. If any, Lord, have been confused by, their, by the traditions of religion instead of trusting in Christ, how I pray you would shine a light into the hearts that would show them their need of a Savior. And this I pray in Jesus' name.